Monday once more. This is the great day of the Facebook eradication. We are talking to you right now during the great Facebook breakdown. WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram currently during this conversation are all completely offline. No one knows when they're coming back. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. So we won't really know at during the conversation how it all turns out. And so when you hear this, it might seem old and boring news, or it might be something Really, really mysterious and crazy is going on. And the conspiracies begin. Yes. My first conspiracy is that Facebook isn't working. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd like to apologize for all you listening. I um, didn't have time to really, well, I didn't take time to clean up this morning, so I'm a bit disheveled. We like you in your natural state, that rugged machismo look. I was in the Facebook basement trying to start up the fire. Hurry up, get that fire. We need this full head of steam. You're running down the road, kicking monkeys, get them back on their bicycles. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, Neil Osborne recommended I watch 13 monkeys again. Cause I was like, oh, I was okay. But you know, Terry Gillum's one of my favorite directors. Oh, and is that a, uh, pandemic type of film 13 yeah, monkeys yeah you never saw 13 monkeys no and he is a great director he is and what are some uh, of the other Bruce films he did Willis, Madeline Stowe Christopher Plummer um Brad Pitt like the cast is pretty so i started watching it last night i started it late and uh went to sleep before i got too into it but um yeah Neil, like Osborne's like, they were trying to warn us. <laughs> no well, of course they were. It's the CDC, everybody's been trying to warn us for years. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. is interesting to me, to me. There's still such divided lines. I was hearing on Alice Morning Show, they were talking about people who didn't get vaccinated and either have been deadly sick from getting COVID and poss- and some that passed away and kind of their afterthought is I wish I was vaccinated. So, you know, there's the underlying statement, get vaccinated, but you still got this whole faction of people who strongly believe it's a mistake. Well, I had a talk with my brother yesterday and he got it. He's not vaccinated and it was over in just a couple of days. It was like, you know, and he's in his thirties. So, you know, I'm not going to say it'd be better, but it'd be more conclusive if just everybody who got it died. (laughs) Right. I mean, then we'd really have all of the reasons that the most people who are pro vaccination claim are reasons. We know that disease doesn't work that way. Like even with cancer, there's people who get, you know, fourth. What is it? Fourth level, fourth stage, stage four, stage four cancer. And then it'll go away and they live out and it never comes back. Well, this just points to the. Failure of imagination of scientific medicine, right? Like there's this whole level of stuff that's being ignored. And one of the things that fuels the anti-vax and sort of, um, you know, people who don't, who don't subscribe to allopathic medicine is there are, there is some history of some shenanigans going on from the past. And that really undermines the credibility of the, um, corporate health industrial complex. Um, I read something this weekend about a philanthropist in the twenties 
who wanted to bring the AMA together, American Medical Association. And in order to be a member, you had to dump all of the all the schools had to dump all of their teachings around homeopathic medicine and what we'll call natural or organic uh, medicines. And that was his way of clearing out any scientific ambiguity and centering the industrial piece around pharmaceuticals and medical, the, the medical industry. And this is, this is it. This is the big problem that we face right now is that just like a lot of things in our culture, the profit motive and the idea of it being a business as the primary functionality undermines a whole bunch of the different facets of possibility for innovation, insight, the integrity of the whole system. I ate too much ice cream this weekend and I was getting COVID because I started to actually have like some kind of nasal response. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And then I realized, oh, I don't eat dairy anymore. And I had ice cream two days in a row. Like, that's it. That's all it is. Oh, thank God. And then what I, happened to uh, your your talk last week? You were talking about your body image and you were going to step up your game. Yeah, I did. And I rewarded myself with ice cream. <laughs> well, it wasn't a lot. Was there a celebration involved? Yeah, yeah. Very nice. What was celebrated? My friends got back from their um, month-long vacation in Italy, and they threw a party at their house. All right. So. Did they have gelato? No. But they have a wood-fired pizza oven that they invested in, and so we made these from-scratch, gluten-free pizza crusts with, like, arugula and you know sherry tomatoes from their garden and oh it was great and so it's it's fun when you make the dough yourself you put it all together you put the olive oil on you put some arugula you put a little mozzarella some tomatoes and then you take that big flat spatula thing and scoop it up and you put it in the pizza oven. And now it's on buddy, because that stuff is like 700 degrees and you got to move it around. It's really hard to turn a pizza with a big flat spatula inside a little tiny window, right? You have to move it like a quarter of an inch a hundred times to get it to turn around. But, um, man, like there's no way I can even buy pizza from a pizza place anymore after eating this. And yeah, you're right. Pizza and ice cream. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to put the cheese on yours. There were choices involved. I made those choices. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yeah, man. It was like our weather. I was thinking about that yesterday because uh, I like going on a Sunday morning walk, the Tennessee Valley trek to the beach and back and um it was so warm eight o'clock in the morning and i was like damn you know like to be t- completely politically incorrect you know we have known indian summers but usually it's like three days you know this has been a solid week of temperatures in the 80s uh, the Farmer's Almanac suggests that it's going to continue through December. Wow. So much for a rainy season. Well, let me just double check that, right? Farmer's Almanac. We are now looking up Farmer's Almanac. Farmer's, Farmer's, Farmer's Almanac, <laughs> as we like to call it. Oh, of course, you can't look at it online. You have to purchase it. Well, that makes sense. It's interesting how how really dialed in they are around the weather. Do you? Um, well, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a huge, but it's hundreds of years of history. 
Um, yes, but it's so all they're saying around farming. Winter will be cooler and drier than normal through October 2021. And here's the extended wow. winter forecast. Wow. Grab your gloves, fetch your fleece. Winter's going to be a season of flip-flop conditions with notable polar coaster swings in temperatures. So it's going to get super cold and then get warm. Um, yeah, so average wintry temperatures and precipitation, it says, for the the California and western states. Um, and then it's showing the Montana to Illinois all the way down through Colorado and uh, Nebraska numbs the word it's going to be <laughs> that that really super cold trough that goes down the middle of the country wow yeah so that's what they're saying on the farmersalmanac.com extended forecast for 2021 2022 winter and so now we've covered facebook and winter we're good. You know what? Uh, we, here's one thing I forgot about with Facebook. It's interesting because, you know, yesterday on 60 Minutes, there was the whistleblower, that former employee came out and said that Facebook toned down their security things they had in place because it, the the employees were told that people wouldn't stay on Facebook as long as the if these were in place. And they like between the insurrection and the election, like they're like in that window, Facebook took away the security things that would have made it harder for people to communicate on Facebook with the insurrection and all that. So you're saying that there was a uh, 60 minutes interview with a Facebook whistleblower. Right. Yesterday. Right before Facebook went offline. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, sucks to be Mark Zuckerberg today. Oh, I don't know. When you're a billionaire, you can kind of... He's employees right now because he's like, fix this. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it brings up a really interesting question because part of me is secretly hoping that it lasts for several days. (laughs) And, uh, you know... I'm honestly, I have a Facebook ad running for my coaching business. Like I'm not going to claim that I'm somehow superior or don't use the the thing, but um, the idea that the self-reflection that humans would have without this addictive thing that they tend to go to, uh, that's really intriguing to me. And it, it's funny because this morning after I did my meditation and my Qigong, um, I got up and I was walking around the garden and I was thinking to myself, like a teddy bear. Uh, well, I guess I am, you know, golden bear is my nickname, right? but I was noticing that I could hear the traffic again and that there were planes overhead. And I was thinking back to the glory days of the pandemic when it was <laughs> stillness. When people were just dying <laughs> and no one was moving any vehicles. Like, and I think, you know, nature really put us on pause and that, that was one of the sort of weird side effects that was a benefit to us, right? Because animals started coming back into areas, you know, things like that were happening. And I was thinking to myself today, like, well, uh, I'm really lucky because I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and the fire season this year was pretty short, but a lot of people are still dealing with it. But I was also thinking, you know, now that, you know, vaccines have come back line and people are driving around again and airplanes are flying around again. And like Mother Nature is going to do something like what's going to happen. That's premonition. Yeah. Have we had a if we already went over this, you can stop me. But on these hikes, I do to the beach like again yesterday, I'm looking around and nature's thriving. And I was thinking of the dialogue I hear people say, well, the planet's in trouble, nature's in trouble. And I'm like, nature isn't in trouble. It's doing fine. And we're in trouble as a part of nature. The planet's going to be fine. And like you're just saying now, nature's going to do what it needs to do to continue. And if that's like flood this area, drought this area, you know, 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. nature's alive. The, caveat, and well. the, the rebuttal, the caveat to that is the massive amount of extinction of species that's going on and the massive amount of toxic pollution that's being generated by human activity. And, you know, to create the favorable conditions that we enjoyed up until the beginning of the industrial revolution, a mere 120 years ago, uh, nature took billions of years to create those conditions through an amazing, miraculous process. Well, it's got to work faster. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. That's the human perspective, right? Is the time's compressed and it has to, we need to do it now and blah, blah, blah. But the, the true, and you know, I haven't done my ACM reading this morning yet, but the true, true is the time is an illusion and there's no velocity of to any of it that needs to happen. And, you know, it's just fascinating to me how we can see that, yeah, nature is resilient. And at the same time, paradoxically, you know, you're right. What you're saying is right. And like, there's a lot of dead and not reproducing animals and, you know, flora and fauna and plants that, you know, it's like, that's some insane thing. Like for toilet paper, they're cutting down a football field of boreal forest in Canada a minute. Like that's how fast they're going. Then I've seen Are they replanting. I don't probably, but it takes forever. It takes, you know, 35, 40 years to replant that stuff. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, hemp fiber grows the same amount of fibrous material within a one year growing cycle. I've heard that about bamboo also. Have you yeah. used bamboo toilet paper? So this idea that we need to be cutting down trees makes yeah, no but sense. Have you used bamboo toilet paper? I would if I could. It's horrible. Well, you can make it better. <laughs> if we, we can make it better. Better, stronger, stronger, faster, faster. A $6 million toilet paper. I have used hemp. I've worn hemp clothes that were like way softer than cotton. So I'm not, I, you know, I think there's a question of that's important of how much energy would be consumed after the material, the fibers have been harvested to create that level of straft. <laughs> Please don't squeeze the Charmin. <laughs> um, Yeah, we're not going to be able to solve it. But I think that there's a lot to be said for alternative possibilities and that more and more I want young, successful capitalists to come into power and innovate and wipe out all this old bullshit. You know, like we, the, I saw a picture of 1911 electric cars. They were electric cars. They looked like, you know, the old cars that were like buggies. They were like buggies before, you know, oh, this right, is, right, right. and they were electric. They had batteries and they were, it's like, come on, people. Well, it's pretty well known that Tesla had created a lot of means of. Nikolai Tesla. Yeah. Of, um, of using electricity in very powerful and renewable ways and. He just wasn't a business person, and Edison stomped on his head. Well, he was a business person, but what happened was he he was um, squeezed out by Edison, and, and that's the, that's not about business; that's about morality. Well, it's business. You know, Edison wanted to win that electric race. It's kind of like remember when Tesla and what was the other car fisher or something like that they came out at about the same time and there was a race of which one was going to get market ground and um what happened is the other one there was that video that went out with all the cars exploding in the flooding lot they learned that if the battery got wet it would explode and that company went down and then tesla took off yeah, and I'm not so sure that it's analogous to what happened with Nikolai Tesla and Thomas Edison. Like Edison was um, 
his there's this idea that what's good for business is good the best outcome for social structures and that's not the case and what edison had to do in order to beat out the concept that nikolai tesla which was he was trying to make free power okay like if you go to the missouri river in montana right now there's a giant power plant that was built in the 30s that is just the rushing water generates power and the machinery's been there for almost 100 years and, and no dam no dam involved no it's several dams but oh, the water it flows through right and yeah, it, but, you know yes yeah it's not but in terms of burning fossil fuels right. gas right, 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 right. right plus it was a public utility they built it they pay it's all paid for and now the power is free all they need to do is charge enough to keep maintenance going you know, same with education in the UC system, like taxpayers built the University of California. And the promise was that anyone who grew up in California could go to college for free. And somewhere along the lines, it became better business to charge in tuition for people. And that's just it's just bullshit. It's it's um, short sightedness. And this is the, the big issue. This idea of short-term profits over long-term social benefit. And you don't have to be a freaking communist to see the, the toxic capitalism the way it works. And we can still have free enterprise and have good social structures and have all kinds of innovation and reduce pollution. And, you know, that's why you should vote for me in 2036. And what are you doing to reduce um, landfill? Landfill, specifically. Well, let's see. The packaging process is tricky. I, I haven't solved the packaging problem. I do pay attention to how that works. We do separate all of our um, recycling materials, but my understanding is that they just still go in landfill because there's nowhere to ship them to, to process them. Um, we separate out organic matter. So like trash in our house doesn't have organic matter that goes into the, the green can where people put their leaves or whatever, but like orange peels, banana peels, stalks of broccoli that we don't use, like that stuff all goes in the green can. So we're reducing the beneficial parts of landfill, <laughs> right? Instead of putting organic material in there that will help decay, grow bacteria to help break down the other stuff. We get, it's only the, the, the really the plastics. <laughs> now the plastics go for the most part. Um, if they are right. you know, recyclable, they go in the recycle bin. We have a lot of, um, jars with those jar lids that we use to keep <laughs> with those jar lids <laughs> you know those jars brand with name those... is k-n-o-r-r nor or something like that i, I don't know yeah, exactly. yeah. the mason jars yeah uh oh illuminati jars the illuminati jars illuminati confirmed all right so, um, yeah. uh, and um we're down to one car in this household. We share a car. Truck? Yep. Really? Yep. Kathy got rid of her car? No, she still has it. We just don't use it. Is it on the lawn propped up on cinder blocks? No. <laughs> in the cement driveway. It's propped up on tires that look like they need some air. Nice. Yeah. You know, well, why are you keeping it? That's her... Hey, I thought I turned this off. <laughs> time to take your meds. What? R2-D2 says, time to take your meds. That's my my ringer for my cell phone. Oh, my God. There's a killer dy dystopian environment, you know, like where all these really cute characters that have been created in entertainment, like Mickey Mouse and R2-D2. Like, they're the ones who are like, okay, time to take your meds. Have you got your vaccination today? B 
be sure to stand in line. Join him. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mind control. Yeah. We should do a punk rock kids album. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if one of those exists. We don't need no education. We don't need no fuck control. Kill your iPod. Kill your <laughs> iPad. Yeah, iPod's kind of dated. <laughs> the kids would just laugh. Okay, Grandpa. An iPod. iPod. Yeah. <laughs> iPods really don't exist anymore, do they? Well, they got integrated into the iPad um, and the phone, so yeah. it became one thing. Like I, we are, we're all going towards homogeny. <laughs> That's so funny. iPods are dated. They were such cutting edge technology when yeah. we were in the thirties. I, I remember. Yeah, way back in the aughts. <laughs> You know, I think it's really funny that we decided that we would call something Gen Z as if there was not going to be another generation after them. <laughs> what do we do? Go back to Gen A now? Yeah, what happened when the apocalypse was supposed to come? Well, we listened to that Christian guy, you know, who said, all right, Ascension and A20, T minus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> now we uh, we already talked about that. Everybody got to rise up. Everybody yeah. got to rise. Did you say you never saw Little Big Man? Oh no, I saw it. It was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes is when the Indian grandpa he goes up on the mountaintop with Little Big Man to pass away, and he lays down. And then it started, he goes through this whole eloquent ceremony and all this stuff, lies down, and it starts to mist and kind of sprinkle a little. He wakes up, he's like, am I in heaven? And the baby goes, no, Grandpa, you're still here. He's like, oh, I guess it's not my day to die. And they just get up and walk away. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, because it's just grounded in the practical reality of experience. Yeah, it's like, that was it. Like, there's huge, you know, to do. And then, oh, guess not. Okay. Let's come back tomorrow. Yeah. We got, we, we could, you know, there was no TV to watch. So you could spend three hours on a ceremony and be like, all right, we'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah. <sighs> what a missed opportunity that was to, what? well, when, there was a moment where that we idealized with the holiday of Thanksgiving of where indigenous peoples were teaching European settlers how to survive. And instead of us like adopting the new ways and having a renaissance of um, that kind of lifestyle, we had the horrific colonization and genocide that was perpetrated on the native and and as we see now with that wisdom that they had of harmonious living within nature is sorely lacking you know yes. and kathy and i were talking this weekend where we we're like my god can you imagine living up in alaska and not having access to any of the stuff we have now like nylon and rubber boots and all that stuff like and i was like yeah it was a it being an Inuit is no joke, right? If you just like furs and leather and ice houses and, you know, fishing with sinew and bone hooks and Lordy. I heard there's like an exponential amount of terms they have for snow and ice. You know, like for us, it's snow, ice, but for them, there's like 36 Right, because it's the qualia of it. It's the quality right. of it, not just the, right. the name, the condition. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I guess that'd be similar to like how we have, you know, humid, warm, hot, you know, all these ways to describe a blustery day. Well, yeah. I mean, if you just think about the human capacity to name, 
right? Uh, yeah. We have the ability to do a lot with our own initiatives, but we're bound by this kind of like, well, we do that for you. No, no need to come up with a, a word for softer water or like, I don't remember the particulars of my dream from this last night's sleep, but I do remember waking up going, what a trip. Like that's such a different time in my life. It was like my mind was attempting to make sense of something you know, like I was, I was kind of fascinated by my mind processing something to make sense of it from a time long ago in my life. It wasn't relevant to anything today. I was like, well, that's... So let me see if I have this right. You had a dream that was about the distant past. Right. And then trying to make sense of it, you know, like there was a processing in it. Yeah. Well, that's when one could argue Jungianly that the subconscious mind does that as dream work to resolve issues, you know. Um, So maybe you were bringing up some old history to resolve. Yeah, it was. But that's what I find fascinating is that the mind wants to make sense of things. Some things just, I don't, I think that there's a waste of energy in attempting to make sense of some things. Well, it, I, you know, I don't think nature created anything useless. So the mind is what it is. Mark just threw me a softball and I'm going to let it go by. We'll just let it go. Wait a minute. That's not what a moped outlaws is about. (laughs) You're you're supposed to hit that one out of the park. I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> and it probably was going to cost me. Fuck it. We didn't, I didn't come here to play softball. Wilker. All right. So next time. Yeah. Yeah. What was I saying? Um, about nature has nothing useless except for me and my arrow. Yeah. Um, What I was saying was, I think that the mind is an important part of the human being. It's just that we don't train ourselves in relationship to it very well in Western culture. And so when you integrate mind, body, and soul, then you have a different expression of humanness, human beingness. And it's kind of interesting, the the brain, we think of the brain as where the mind is, but the map isn't the territory. So we have this picture of our mind being inside our skull, right? But we're starting to realize that there's the, you know, gut wisdom and these other things that inform our intelligence. And, you know, who, who knows where, where dreams, I mean, they... They measure these things that they can do with tools to measure our brain's activity and do dream studies with that to try to figure stuff out. And they're making progress. I mean, I'd love to have a dream um, biologist on to talk about that stuff. But I think there's more mystery than there is solution at this point. And so when we think we've got it figured out, that's when we're the most dangerous. Hmm. Because then we form, we form like a calcified thinking, a kind of fixed thinking that doesn't have room for the next possibility. Yeah, and I'm not saying this. I'm presenting this. Like, so there's also just conceptually thinking of building and building blocks and strong foundation that is fixed. And that allows one to build with strength because the elements are fixed and in place and well-grounded. Again, there's this razor's edge, the duality of, you know, being well-grounded. And what what does one mean by, what do you mean by that? That my word is good. So if I say, Hey, Mark, I'll call you Wednesday. You can bet I'll probably call you Wednesday because I'm well-grounded. 
I can trust that. Right. Whereas if um, I'm flighty and airy, now, all right, I'll call you Wednesday, and you just know, yeah, probably, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? So how does that relate to the mind? So the the concept of a calcified train of thought, there's an element of having concepts in place that are well-grounded by which I live. Um, If I'm questioning everything and not landing on it, such as nutrition, exercise. In other words, here, let me say this. Like I'm finding it's a pretty new commitment, this Sunday walk I like to do to the beach in the morning. Now that I've been doing it for a bit, like just thinking about it brings me a sense of joy. And there, and it's grounded. When I first started, there was this element, well, do I want to do it? Am I doing it this Sunday? I don't know. Maybe not. But I committed to it. And that was a thought first. So it's the thought, you know, like, so I grounded that thought for me. Here's where I think it's important is um, that my grounding, my personal thoughts and choosing what beliefs I'm going to ground in, like my foundations are not someone else's foundations. And when I, start insisting like mark if you got to do a sunday walk in the morning it's great it's been the best for me like now i'm projecting my solid you know like that's that's a mistake it's a very individual choice for every for us all to make i hear you i understand now better what you were trying to say yeah I had a very interesting experience this past week with my mom and I had um, my two sisters have for decades spoken of the trouble they've had with our mom. And I just sort of pan that off as mother daughter relationship stuff. But now I experienced it because she called a family meeting with her four children And we all jumped in because she was in a state of emergency. And then what I experienced is what could be clinically defined as narcissism. um, Had to do with money. And what one of my sisters equated it to, which really resonates for me, it gives me a very clear way to understand this. It's as though with alcoholism, someone says, I've hit rock bottom and I really want to change my life and I don't want to do this anymore. And you jump in to help them and almost right away, they're like, I don't have an alcohol problem. What do you mean? And the other piece from the clinical narcissism is flipping it on the other person. So instead of taking responsibility, attacking the individual who's attempting to help. And um, and it's put me in a process of processing, like I, I'm going through a healing element with my relationship with my mom, because now I have this new thing like, wow, fuck, this is, there's trust deeply broken that, you know, like, oh, and I was thinking about this too, as part of my process, like a lot of people I know have issues with their mom. Like, let's say their mom's an alcoholic and they learn to love their mother and just know there's this aspect to them and they need to have boundaries or hold ground in this realm. So, so I have um, support that I'll find my way to love my mother still and have a relationship with her. 
Well, you could start by not believing you are clinically uh, able to diagnose her as narcissistic. It's helpful to recognize the psychological element to it. Agreed. But, you know, when you decide uh, that you've defined her a certain way, you're putting her in a box, which isn't a very loving thing to do. <clears throat> I'd say now, one of our mutual people we know. And... um was incarcerated. I don't know if they still are or not. There's an element of narcissism to that. Cause well, great. We, this term gets used a lot because we're, we're more and more able to sort of recognize patterning. Right? right. And if we break out of the habitual need to label someone in a way that is uh, corralling them as if this is who they are at as an essence level, we can begin to start to communicate about the specifics of the interactions that we had with them and have the emotional discussion about what those interactions felt like. And then now, instead of participating in our own form of calcified thinking about them, like, okay, suddenly now they are a narcissist, right? One, I am not a clinician, so I can't say that. I don't have the authority or the education to say that. Two, does it actually help me? To put that box around them, maybe. What's actually more refined is to identify the thing that's happening that we're using as the definition of narcissism and have a relationship with that experience that can have some flexibility to it. And some, like we could be talking about, you know, I had a conversation with my mom and she did this thing where she wouldn't accept me saying no. Right. Or she was trying to constantly maintain control in the conversation. Right. Or she was physically abusive with me. Like these are all things that could have that have happened that you could talk about in a way that's got like it's grounded in the experience. Now, the three things I just read are th clinically part of the definition of narcissism. I looked it up. I'm looking at them. That's what's helpful. That's because I did the same thing upon the recommendation of one of my sisters. <clears throat> she said, although just help you ground your process of these elements you're dealing with. Yeah, because the more we get curious about each other, the more we have flexibility and tools that we can use to, you know, talk shit about each other. Well, <laughs> Here's what the like part of my respect <laughs> with you is um, I believe you and I, my experience with you is we have absolute honesty with each other. Yeah. And um, we are human, but there's like if you call me on something, I think I'm going to say, yeah, you're right. I fucked up. That was, I did say that I would do that and I didn't. And I'm sorry. And then we, you know, in acknowledgement, you can move on. But if I someone's like, I didn't say that, what? I wouldn't do that. You're like, now what? Now there's nothing there to work with. Well, so what I'm getting at is it might be useful to take that among other behavioral patterns and then go conclude that they are, quote, unquote, something. I'm not saying she's she's. Yeah, I'm. What here's what I'm saying from what I've experienced over the past week and some of the research I did to clinical, not med MD, but like some real yeah. in depth. Um, I would say that I could definitely could see how a clinical diagnosis of narcissism, it would not surprise me if that happened. Yeah. And so, what freedom are you able to get via that? path there's a sickness there's a disease in my mom mm -hmm. and it's painful for me to become aware of it i'm also very grateful that i'm aware of it and um what has not happened is an actual 
conversation with her now since the last sort of slap in the face. Yeah. So I know, like, okay, that's coming. And part of um, my prayer, I guess, is to be present for whatever the moment is. Like, here's, this is where earlier where I was talking about my mind and wanting to understand things. Like, I noticed I was playing out conversations in my head with my mother of what the next conversation was would be. And I also noticed it didn't really work. My energy wasn't better off for that. It's actually worse. It's better if I let go of an idea of what the conversation's going to be and just kind of stay solid in myself and my connection to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know that convert. I do want, let me say, I want to have that conversation with her. Yeah. Right. Whatever it is. I, when I say that, I just yeah. mean like an actual. Yeah. Conversation. I get it. Um, and I, I see value in everything that you've said so far. And the nuance that I'm trying to tease out is that when we can be in the moment more and deal with what's actually in the moment, which in the case of like, let's not make it about someone personally, like your mom, let's talk in the abstract. Now, if someone is exhibiting a behavior in the moment and what we do with that is we ascribe a certain conclusion that we project upon them and then we don't engage it, then there's an opportunity that's not there anymore. Right. You can, deal with the reality of whatever the microaggression is, as opposed to accumulating a bunch of microaggressions and then casting a conclusion about the person uh, with all of those microaggressions. My point is that when we can be intimate with them and say in the moment, ow, that hurt my feelings, or this feels diminishing of me, Now we're not relating to their beingness as a secondary thing that exists behind a wall of this thing we've defined them as. And we're actually having a relationship with them that even if it is true that they have this label, we're actually working with the reality of how that expresses itself. A part of what I'd recommend, like if you're dealing with someone who's an alcoholic, then you want to know that to be real. So whatever agreement conversation you have you know that like if i if i'm an alcoholic and i come to you and go mark i just need six dollars to go get some food and this and that you're like okay you're not going to get alcohol no i'm not going to get alcohol well it would be wise for you to know i am going to go get alcohol like whatever i'm saying to you all i want is to get alcohol and i'll say and do whatever i need to to get the money to go get alcohol. So there is no reality in our communication in this realm. So you're saying your mom's a narcissist and an alcoholic. No, I'm using alcoholism as an example of, um, because the narcissism seems to be sort of ethereal where alcoholism, everyone kind of gets. I'm saying my mom, when it comes to money, She'll say and do whatever she needs to, to get her way. And any agreements or communications there are between the two, when she has what she wants, which is X amount for the moment, all that's gone. All agreements and communications gone. She's bounced. Yeah, I hear that. And that's what I experienced this last week is, I I know a history of financial duress and things not working out. And what I experienced this last week is I'm in an emergency state. I'm going to lose my home. I want to change my ways. So then her children, me, you know, I'm one of them. Okay, we want to help you. She got what she needed. And she left. She was not interested in actually changing her ways. 
Yeah, so that's a much more complicated dynamic, I think, than what we sort of started down this road with. And let me just say that I feel you. I get what you're saying in this. And I understand how the nature of need, whether we validate it or not, it's interpreted by the individual as need. And then the actions that they take to get it justify the means. For right? them, right. For them. The other thing that happened for me is I got clarity about help. Like when you help me, it's with the idea that you're helping me through a moment so that I can then live on my own better. If I continually come to you, it's enabling, right? Yeah. So there's so many vectors to this conversation so that the addictive ones make sense now in a way it didn't before to me. Okay. You know, having been someone who went to Al-Anon, right? Right. Understanding the role that I play in my loved one's addictive process. Right. Is an important aspect of of healing. And that's why I'm bringing up the clinical narcissism aspect. I don't know. Like I said, she hasn't been clinically. Um, what she do you probably think? wouldn't want to be absolutely right. Especially at 83, but yeah, she doesn't want to. However, what I'm saying is that's like Alan on like, I know, Oh, I'm the son of a narcissist. That's what it seems like. And that gives me some tools through experience and research to, you know, bring in and go, oh, is this going to help this process? Hurt. Yeah, got it. Yeah. By by getting a clarity around what this might be. Right. Yeah, I get it. Right. Um, wow. I mean, just right now, I feel this sadness. Like, what a struggle for you and for your sisters. Our two sisters and a brother. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's extremely common to be dealing with an 88-year-old human who isn't managing their finances or doesn't have what they need to manage their finances the way they're used to, who has to make some sort of an adjustment, right? So I just have a lot of... I have this sense of that difficulty. Yeah. Is there, can we shift the locus from the idea of narcissism and enabling and addiction over to the drama triangle? Do you notice anything like rescuer, persecutor, victim? Well, it's so this is interesting because it actually comes back to what I research in narcissism. Like if someone is clinically defined as a narcissist by a psychologist, then the process of healing, it's looking at what are they protecting? Like, why are they, there's some element of them that feels deeply wounded that is heavily protected. And that, so, um, I forgot your question. Can we Britain move the locust to the... Do you recognize anyone in this discussion that you had this week playing one or more... Oh, the victim the triangle. Right, right, right. The victim triangle. Or the so, trauma triangle, it's called. Right, right, right. So... Because um, it sounds like your mom was being victim for a while, and then she moved to a different position. Well, so here's the thing. She um, also sent out an email to her friends and family asking if there was any interest in investing in her condo she owns. And one of the lines she wrote, (laughs) like she wrote this in the midst of with, you know, 24 hours of all her kids jumping in to help. And we all had busy things. We, We said, okay, we'll stop. We'll be in the zoom call. She sends out an email. One of the lines was, Sadly, my children have made it very clear that they want nothing to do with Nicaragua 
at all in all caps exclamation point. Right. Victim. Yeah. Yeah. I even called her up. I was like, you know, what what is going on? Like here we are helping you. And that's your response, you know? So what role were you playing when you did that? I was mad. Okay. I knew it too. So what role was that in the triangle? A persecutor. Thank you. You're welcome. I will say my youngest sister. You feel victimized yet? Are you? No. <laughs> my youngest sister really clearly demonstrated a very well holding one's boundaries. Mm-hmm. And she sent out an email saying, I am no longer involved with this. I won't be doing it anymore in the future. End of conversation. Right. And I actually wrote, because I had been asked by my sisters, like by her actually, because I wasn't doing anything via email as communications going. She said, where's your voice? I want your voice to be a part of this. So after she wrote that, then I wrote something and I asked her a question. And she said, once again, what I'm making clear is I'm no longer a part of this communication. And then I talked with her afterwards and we had a great conversation. And she said, I just need to be clear with my boundaries with our mother. Otherwise, I get to sucked into something that isn't healthy. So. Wow. Yeah. So that's part of what I'm learning for myself as I'm processing. Well, what are my boundaries? This is all super new to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me how. You know, for a long time, there's been quite a bit of struggle and um, growth for you around relationships with your family, specifically your ex-wife and your kids. And now there's a relative amount of clarity and peace in that realm. And now God, the universe, her majesty is adding in another layer of karmic trial for you. Absolutely. And I'm totally grateful because I took it exactly as you said, like, wow, thank you. I'm grateful that you see I'm ready for this. And I could have gone through my whole life ignorant of this and had to deal with it in the next life from, you know, whatever, like, the truth will set us free. So thank you for this opportunity to now know this. Yeah. I mean, I really want to dive in a little bit more of the details, but I'm not sure that's what our audience needs. Right. And um, let me just say that I think it'd be great to have an ongoing conversation with you to the extent it feels good about this. And if there's any support you need around it and um, you know, I'll just say for the audience, like, This is inevitable. If you have a mom and a dad still, (laughs) that's a blessing for you. And one of the things you get to look forward to is them becoming no longer functional. And that can either be like the slow burn into Alzheimer's or into financial ruin or many other things. So practicing compassion and empathy and boundaries um, you know, I, I'm, yesterday I was listening to a lecture and boundaries came up and they were, there was an aspect of them that was kind of, um, deconstructed. And when we put up boundaries, there's an option beyond that, but it's contingent upon us having the bandwidth and having the, um, dynamism to enter into What's dynamic, i.e. capacity for high sensation, low sensation. So, for instance, boundaries serve to have us put up limits around what access we have to people. But it's also true that we are capable of way more than necessarily what we use our boundaries for. And that boundaries aren't actually always the healthiest thing. They are a stopgap, a temporary measure. They are a buying into the fear of loss of control. The truth is, if you want to, if you are willing and you manage yourself well, 
you can be more dynamic than that. And so you don't need the boundary limitation. You use, like I was saying before, you use true, honest communication and intimacy in the moment to navigate whatever the boundary is trying to do for you instead. And so, you know, obviously saying no is a good, we would call it a boundary, but it's actually usually a no is an answer to a specific question. Like, will you give me $5,000 so I don't lose my condo? No. Right. I don't need to set up a boundary around talking to my mom about her condo to get to the point of the ask and the request and then, and then the answer. And the, you know, then I don't also have to manage my communication with her. If I said no, that means I could still love her. I can still go for Thanksgiving. I can still take her phone calls or, you know, argue with her for another hour about why I said no. (laughs) Right. 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 And that's, um, yeah, that brings up how I could see boundaries as a temporary choice for growth. So there's an element of like, I'm not able to be with you in the moment right now. I have more growth to do. So I'm not going to hang out with you. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's layers to what the, what I would call the utility of boundary setting. And it's all, it's all about how dynamic and how much of a, of a, how much depth you have as a person how much you need to rely on boundaries, right? And if you are dealing with a lot of accumulated trauma around certain things, you don't have the bandwidth and depth in order to navigate the moment with enough functional interaction to resolve it through emotional intelligence and all of those things. So that's when boundaries become critically important because otherwise it's the only tool in the toolbox to keep you from going under, right? From you getting into depression or, you right. know, having a relapse of some sort. That's important. And I'm not denigrating boundaries, but if we can develop our communication skills and our emotional intelligence and our depth and our nervous system enough to handle high sensation conversations, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't. You know, what's uh, hella funny, too, is I was listening to, I think it's the episode that went live this morning of Moped Outlaws. And um, I was talking about my ex. And at the time of our recording, we weren't getting along. We weren't talking. And now, as you mentioned earlier, we're getting along really well right now. Are you and, um So I was so, part of what I think about is, like I, I say something empathetically as though it's carved in stone. And then a week later, it's like changed. <laughs> and that drives me crazy. Like I have Shempa around that when someone says to me like, yeah, I'm not, I quit drinking. And then, you know, a year later, oh, now I just have a glass of red wine at night. I'm like, well, what the fuck? And some less trustworthy. And as a child of a narcissist, having trust is really important to you. Yeah, that's interesting. That's the ramifications of all this that I'm dealing with. And as you said earlier, you know, like I came to you with coaching about my finances and my ability to be responsible with money, desiring to be so. And just as if my parents were alcoholics, there'd be a red flag in my life like, oh, there's that potential in my life. Well, you got to learn our shit somewhere. It's typically our parents. Yeah, <laughs> which is so painful because I'm going to be that shit for my kids who I love dearly. But that's I not always true. Wonder. That's the that's the difference. Is we don't actually have to settle for that excuse. In fact, maturity means breaking out of the old. That's I blame my parents motif. Absolutely right. And you've got some great demonstrations of consistency in your practices that it's not a big stretch for you to change this one too. And I do believe it's in process. Yeah, I agree. One day we'll have that house on the hill. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We want it bad enough and we take action. The key thing is not just to visualize and embody, but to take action, to, to be so embodied in the possibility that you actually move 
every breath towards in that moment, every decision is in alignment with an integrity with that being the outcome. And, uh, you know, we're human. So it's, it's ebb and flow, man. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to the, what was released today. I, I was a li- I immediately in typical moped fashion style. I felt a little uneasy about the photo <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, that's good. That's what we're here for. So if you're out there listening to this conversation and talking about Greg's mom feels a little bit uncomfortable for you. Welcome to moped outlaws. You're right where you belong. The adventure, the horizon, the fact that you might run out of gas before you get to the top of the hill. Uh, you know, I really looked for an image where a guy, because the song I was thinking of was, you know, the um, Iggy Pop. What was the name of their band? The Stooges. Their yeah. song, I, you know, I want to be your dog. Now I want to be your dog. And because and part of what today's podcast uh, episode we talk about is relationships and heartbreaks. And so I was thinking like, you know. I want to be your dog, but I couldn't find a good image where the guy was in sort of a submissive. Thank God. <laughs> that was the one I found. I, and I thought you know, mixed that because that would have pushed my Shempa. <laughs> now we know what next week's image is going to be. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you're here to help me deal with my sense of a loss of control. Loss of control, loss of control. Yeah. 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 We're really lucky. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful to your mom for you. (laughs) She would be pleased to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Recording stopped.